Excellent. Thank you, Val. Well, uh, if you are um, a regular and you have been a regular for some time here at Brighton, you might be aware that we've actually achieved something um, pretty cool, actually. We, um, uh, at our church, over a number of years, we've been looking through this book of the Bible, this book of Luke, um, and we've done it in various sections over a number of years. And finally, uh, as we come today to the end of our series, The King Among Us, uh, we've gotten to the end of the book of Luke, which is great. I, you know, I almost think we should give ourselves a round of applause, get through the whole book. Um, I had a good look through the archives this week. Um, we, we haven't always kept perfect records, and, um, and I personally have only been here for sort of part of this journey, so um, I wasn't sure exactly on some of the details, but I had a, had a look. I think we started back in 2017. Um, we did, uh, in 2017, we did 11 sermons. Uh, we started at Luke chapter 4, and we went through to chapter 9. Uh, and then in 2018, we did another eight sermons, and we went through Luke 9 to 11. Um, 2019, we did two little series. We did a seven-week series going through Luke 12 and 13, and then four more sermons on Luke chapter 14. Um, and then in 2020, there was another six sermons, Luke 15 through to 17, uh, verse 10. Uh, last year, 2021, we did Luke 17, 11 through to 19, 48. And then we also did Luke 24 last year after the resurrection. It's that kind of last bit of Luke's gospel. Um, and then this year, we've kind of done that last missing piece. We've uh, looked at that last week in Jesus' life, his time in Jerusalem from Luke uh, chapter 19, verse 28, uh, through to the cross in Luke chapter 23. Uh, somewhere in there as well, we also did Luke uh, 1 to 2. I think we did it at Christmas time. That's kind of the Christmas story. I think we did it at Christmas um, 2019. Um, so I think all things considered, we've basically covered the whole book. I will admit, I couldn't find anything uh, that we've done on Luke chapter, Luke chapter 3. So we may have missed Luke chapter 3. So um, that did make my OCD freak out a little bit. So we might have to go back and um, do a whole series on Luke chapter 3 at some point, I think. But um, I think let's just, you know, I'm not sure if whether, whether we have done it or whether we haven't, but let's just say we've finished the book. Um, by my count, 60 sermons all up, which is quite a, quite a good number. Um, and if you're interested, I also did the math. I think I had done 12 of the sermons. Um, I think along the way we had two sermons from Mark Curran, two sermons from John Warner, 10 sermons from Colin Taylor. Um, all those names will be familiar to you if you've been here for a good while. Um, and we also had one from Carl Forsyth this year. Um, and, uh, of course, though, the winner was our former senior pastor, Cameron, who uh, has done 33 out of the 60, I think, by my math. So, well done to him. Um, and I think that all adds up to 60. We can, um, you might like to go into our website and see if you can um, check all my numbers. I'm not 100% sure I've got them exactly right. But um, 60 sermons going through this great book of the Bible. And then most of them, are, by the way, are, are there on our podcast. You know, so... Um, let me say, if you've got a commute into work every day and you like listening to things like podcasts, you know, you could go back and listen to all 60 sermons, you know, go through the whole book of Luke and, you know, 60, 60 different commutes or something like that could be a good thing to do. Um, but what I thought I would do today, given we've come to the end of uh, this significant book and we've sort of got this, in some ways this is sort of a, a funny week because we've got to Easter um, next week, as I said before, we're going on to Ephesians uh, but we've got this one week, and so what I thought I'd do for this one week is, given we've been through the whole book of Luke, what I thought is I'd do is I'd go right back to the very start of the book and see where the whole book of Luke began. Uh, and actually, to these very, just these very first four verses of Luke, um, there's sort of an, just an introduction to the book of Luke, the, ones, the verses that Val read out for us. Uh, they're very significant verses, though, because they're a great way of helping us think about what the whole book of Luke is about and summing up really the point of the whole book and, and where it comes from, and particularly uh, why it's such a valuable book. 
Because I think the book of Luke is uh, just a wonderful book as we think about what it means to be Christians in our world today. Uh, I really think we need the book of Luke and, uh, and I'll tell you why. One, one reason I think is that uh, there's, there's quite a bit of talk today about the place of religion in Australia. I don't know if you've noticed that, there's a lot of talk about the place of religion in modern Australia, whether, whether religion, whether Christianity still has a place in Australia. Of course, some of us uh, might still wish that Australia was really more of a Christian country, uh, like perhaps it used to be. Uh, But on the other end of the scale, we have plenty of people in our society who think that religion has no place in modern Australia. You know, you kind of have those two extremes and then you have all sorts of views in between. Uh, I was looking at an article the other day from the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, It was sort of talking about that sort of freedom of religion discussion. I don't know if you've um, followed that discussion, whether there should be freedom of religion in Australia. Um, And and the article was talking about school chaplains. Um, And and let me read um, a quote for you from the article, um, talking about school chaplains. Why have we wasted $300 million over the past half decade on the school's chaplaincy program, under which educationally untrained religious operatives spout uneducational, unscientific twaddle to school children? when we are crying out for money and training to teach science, maths, English and history. Why have we wasted $300 million over the past half decade on the school's chaplaincy program, under which educationally untrained religious operatives spout uneducational, unscientific twaddle to school children? Now, um, I'm not going to talk about chaplaincy today or freedom of religion or even, you know, whether we think Australia should be a Christian country, but um, I do want to think about this idea that's very common today, that Christianity is unscientific, that it's perhaps Christianity is just fairy stories, that Christianity is uh, uneducational, as the article put it, even though uneducational isn't actually a real word, word. so um, it's kind of ironic that they chose to use it. But um, this idea that Christianity is just twaddle, as the article put it, this idea that Christianity is just rubbish, that it's just made up stories that have maybe changed over thousands of years, uh, perhaps legends that have no basis in truth and can't be true. Yeah, there was a survey that came out uh, at the end of last year, um, an Australian survey, and the survey seemed to say that um, around half of Australians have doubt that Jesus ever even existed. Over half Australians have doubt that uh, Jesus even ever existed, which is, uh, which is sad. You know, 50% of people, that's you know, our friends, that's, that's some of our neighbours that are probably in that category. Um, and, and the reason it's sad is partly because it's just terrible history. Uh, because there are literally no ancient historians who think that that's true at all. There's tons of evidence that at least Jesus was a real person. But lots of Australians, for whatever reason, have written him off without even, even giving him a hearing. There almost seems to be this kind of myth around Christianity, this idea that uh, maybe Jesus was made up. Uh, and that over the centuries, perhaps the story got more and more exaggerated, um, sort of that Chinese whisper sort of thing. Maybe the church, you know, over those years came up with this kind of fake narrative about Jesus and sort of twisted it and used it to sort of suit its own agendas. I, I don't know if you've ever, ever heard that, um, that sort of narrative. Uh, you certainly will find secular people speaking that way about where Christianity came from. You'll also find it actually in, um, in liberal Christianity where they sort of want to have this vague faith and spirituality but don't always want to deal with the real Jesus. 
And it's when you come up against this sort of stuff, and we will, we will come up against it because, you know, 50% of people, it's everywhere, friends and neighbours, co-workers who, you know, don't think Jesus was real. Um, you don't have to have even thought about it to have picked up on this myth. When we come up against this sort of stuff, it's books like the book of Luke that are so valuable. It's books like the book of Luke that are really needed. It's book like, books like the book of Luke that can give us real reason to have confidence in Jesus as we live in this world that we're in. It's books like the book of Luke that can give us real confidence as we start to engage with others about the real facts of who Jesus was. Uh, so let's have a think about the book of Luke then and we'll, we'll only have a look at these um, first four verses um, from the book. So um, it's not a long reading and we shouldn't have to go for too long today but uh, I did want to point out three things for us, three things that I think it's worth noticing just in these four short verses. Um, Luke's goal Luke's method and Luke's content. Oh, they're the three things, Luke's goal, Luke's method and Luke's content. Um, and let's start with Luke's goal. Um, we're going to go a little bit backwards because the goal is kind of at the end of um, uh, this little section. We can see it in uh, picking it up from verse 3. Um, Luke says, With this in mind, since I, have, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. What's Luke's goal? What's the goal at the end of this book that we've been, you know, that we've spent 60 weeks looking at? Well, the goal is that when we're asked, you know, how do we have confidence in Jesus in this world, you know, that wants to paint scientific uh, Christianity as unscientific twaddle? Well, in this world, Luke wants us to know the certainty of the things that we've been taught. Luke's goal is that he wants us to have certainty. Or as you can see, to be more specific, he wants this, uh, he wants this Theophilus guy to have certainty. Now, um, you might ask who Theophilus is. We, um, we don't know heaps about Theophilus, but the general consensus was that uh, Theophilus was Luke's financial backer. Theophilus was Luke's financial backer. Um, he was a Christian, uh, as it says, the things that you've been taught. So, you know, Theophilus has already been taught these things about Jesus. Uh, and apparently Theophilus had money. And so together with Luke, they undertook this project. Theophilus provided the cash and Luke went and he travelled and he researched and he put his research down in this book, in the book of Luke. And this was not a, not a particularly unusual thing at the time, um, fairly normal for someone to finance something like this and it would be fairly normal for Luke to then kind of write it back to the person who'd financed him um, and address it to Theophilus as he does. Uh, but it's good for us to remember Theophilus, isn't it? Because his financial investment is part of the reason, you know, why we have the book of Luke here with us a couple of thousand years later. Um, and good as a side point to think about, oh, you know, could I invest my money in a way that's going to bring the gospel to future generations too? Uh, but Luke's goal, Luke's goal is to give Theophilus and to give us certainty. To give Theophilus and to give us certainty about Jesus. And of course, certainty, the word certainty is an interesting word, isn't it? Um, sometimes it's hard to be certain about anything. Um, of course, it doesn't mean we can't have doubts. It doesn't mean it's wrong to um, ask any question that we have about Christianity. It doesn't mean it's wrong if we sometimes feel unsure. But it is good to have confidence. And if we can grow in confidence in Jesus and in these accounts, uh, if we can feel a degree of certainty or even total certainty uh, in Jesus and in what Jesus has done, well, that is certainly a good thing. And the book of Luke is written to help move us in that direction. So that's, good. that's Luke's goal. Nice and simple, Luke's goal. Uh, second one, 
We'll spend a bit longer on this second point. Uh, what is Luke's method? What's Luke's method? Let's have a look at the passage again. What does it say? Uh, this is how he starts out. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Uh, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account. Uh, this, this whole myth, this whole idea that the Bible is sort of just, you know, some sort of Chinese whispers sort of account that's been sort of shaped through generations and generations and that it's just a legend and it's not based on real history, that maybe it's fictional or that the church has sort of made it up to suit its own agendas. Well, that whole myth can just be thrown out with um, these two short verses just by looking at Luke's method. What's Luke's method? He investigated. He carefully investigated. He researched what Jesus did, what happened to Jesus. He interviewed eyewitnesses and he carefully and deliberately took all those sources of information, including as well, by the way, the Gospel of Mark, which we think was probably one of his sources of information. And he took all that and he turned all his research into this carefully ordered and structured book. Uh, we might ask, okay, Luke's talked about eyewitnesses. Who were these eyewitnesses? Well, you know, it'd be helpful if Luke told us who they were. You know, why doesn't he, why doesn't he give us a list of who the eyewitnesses were? But then, of course, we read the book of Luke and we see that Luke has told us who the eyewitnesses were. We read through the book of Luke, as we have done over 60 sermons, and we might have noticed that Luke is littered with names, with people that have told Luke their stories. I mean, just you know, as an example, the very start of Luke is the Christmas story. Uh, we get lots of our traditional Christmas story from Luke. If it wasn't for Luke, we might not really have our Christmas story in the same way. Um, the shepherds say they aren't mentioned anywhere else in the Bible other than in uh, Luke. How did Luke get the story of the shepherds at Christmas time? Well, probably he found them and he interviewed them and he spoke to them. He probably went to Bethlehem and he asked around and he got their story. And it seems like he probably managed to track down Mary and get her version of the Christmas story too. Um, surely he sat down with Mary, spoke with her, heard about the manger, you know, heard, heard about the story um, a bit later on when Jesus got lost, um, coming back um, from the temple, and then they went back and found him at the temple as a, as a teenager. All through the book of Luke, he's naming names and telling people stories. Uh, we, we could do so many examples, but, you know, Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus, his story is only found in Luke. Surely Luke tracked him down, heard his story, heard the story of the sycamore tree and included it in his book. And we did speak about this uh, a little bit last week on Easter Sunday, but um, back in those days, the best way to do history was, was like this, to have eyewitnesses. And of course, that, that's not a weird thing. That still makes total sense to us today, doesn't it? Um, I quite enjoy a good war documentary. I don't know if anyone here is a, uh, a war buff or anything like that, but uh, if you've done any digging about what the best documentaries to watch uh, on the world wars are, uh, you'll pretty quickly come across a documentary, um, I think it was a BBC documentary, uh, The World at War, The World at War. Uh, and what makes The World at War one of probably the best war documentary of all time uh, is that it was shot in the 70s, and in the 70s what they kind of realised is they realised that they had all these veterans from World War II still alive, and so they got their cameras, they took their cameras around and they just interviewed as many of these living eyewitnesses as they could. And so you can go back, you can watch the documentary. Um, the World at War, it's full of first-hand eyewitness accounts of what happened during World War II and what World War II was like. 
And I tell you, you just can't beat it. I mean, they still seem to keep making documentaries on the world wars, and they have better effects, and you know, they have better restored footage, and you know, it's all high definition now. Um, but they can't go back and get more, more living eyewitness testimonies. There are some World War II veterans still alive, but not many. Luke, he has got the eyewitness testimonies. I think Luke and Theophilus, they got together and they realised all these people who saw Jesus, met Jesus, interacted with Jesus, they're all still alive. Let's go and get their testimonies, their eyewitness testimonies. And even better than getting just eyewitness testimonies was to get living eyewitness testimonies. Because if you could get testimonies from people who were still alive, then you could name names and then anyone who was reading your book could go and find those people that you'd talked about and verify for themselves that the account was accurate. And we said this last week when we're talking about the resurrection. Luke named names. He had eyewitnesses. He named names of people so that they could be tracked down. Um, as we were looking at the resurrection last week, Jesus talked about the women who went to the tomb. One of them, one of them was named Joanna. Um, Joanna's only mentioned in Luke. Perhaps Luke tracked down Joanna and heard her story. Why would her name be there if not so that people can track her down for themselves and hear from her what happened on that day? Uh, the other story I was, I was maybe thinking about preaching for us today was the story that comes after the resurrection. Uh, it's, it's later on in um, Luke 24. We, uh, we only did kind of the first part of Luke 24 last week for Easter. Um, and I chose not to do that, that next part of Luke 24 because, as I said before, we'd actually done Luke 24 last year. Um, but you, you might know the story, the road to Emmaus. You might remember that there are two followers on the road and, and Jesus comes and walks with them. And, and one of those followers on the road is named Cleopas. And Luke tells us that one of them is Cleopas, and he never mentions the name of the second person who was on the road. And I think the best explanation for why he doesn't do that is that Cleopas was the one that he'd tracked down. Cleopas was the one he'd heard the story from. Actually, tradition says that Cleopas was probably went on to be one of the leaders in the early church. So likely, Luke named Cleopas so that you could then read the book of Luke, and you could go and then find Cleopas and have a chat to Cleopas about what had happened and about Jesus' resurrection. You could prove for yourself the authenticity of Luke's account. We can see, can't we, this whole idea of kind of the Bible being a legend that the church made up over centuries and centuries and centuries, and, you know, us not really having any idea about what happened back in the day of Jesus. That whole idea just doesn't stand up to criticism, does it? There's a strong consensus that Luke was written around the 60s or the 70s AD, um, we don't have the very original text that Luke wrote with you know, his, his own hands or you know, whether he used a scribe or whatever, but we do have records uh, that are very early in the first century of people talking about the four Gospels. Um, we, we do have people talking about the fact that there were four Gospels and, and then we have lots of textual evidence of, uh, of different uh, parts of Luke, Luke's Gospel that were written and copied down and, and available and all, all over the ancient world. Um, the Bible we read today, it's not one that's changed over centuries and centuries. And of course, you might say, well, we get new, new versions of the Bible all the time. Um, but of course, we, we keep translating it to try and get our translations more and more accurate and, and try and make sure it's translated properly into the language that we, we currently speak. Uh, but every time they do new translations of the Bible, they're always going back to those very original, earliest texts. They're not just taking the last Bible and tweaking it and tweaking it and tweaking it and tweaking it as if it could change and change and change and change. Our modern Bible is translated with the aim of it being as accurate to those original texts as it can possibly be. It's not something that the church just came up with in the Middle Ages. 
And by the way, you can tell that just by reading it. You know, if the church was coming up with a sort of fake account, you know, you wouldn't put in a Jesus who was humble and who was anti-establishment and who spoke so negatively about religious leaders. The early, the early church stood in the tradition of the apostles. If, if they were going to make something up, they wouldn't make up an account that made the apostles look so moronic. It's not the sort of thing that anyone would make up or concoct. The best explanation of books like the book of Luke is that they're accurate accounts of what actually happened. The book of Luke, it's authentic, it's carefully researched. And lots of people in our world today might just say, oh, it's just a fairy story, just a legend. Of course, you don't have to deal with it if you just write it off like that, do you? Even as I said, lots of people in the more liberal churches, you know, they might be happy to spiritualize Jesus and doubt that it really happened. And, you know, did he really resurrect? You know, you don't have to deal with Jesus if you don't, don't deal with the real Jesus, do you? You can start to decide bits of, the, bits of the Bible you want to follow and bits of the Bible that you don't. But all you need is these first couple of verses of Luke to see how foolish all of that is. This is a historical account, carefully researched, claiming to describe what really happened, who Jesus was and what he did, and you can't easily write it off. Luke's goal, uh, Luke's method. Last one then, let's talk about Luke's content. We've talked about why Luke wrote. We've talked about how he got his material. Uh, just one more point. Uh, that's what, what Luke thought he was writing. What Luke thought he was writing. Again, um, it's right there in our text. Let's, let's get back again. Uh, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled amongst us. What's, what is it that Luke's put together for us? I know this seems obvious, but Luke is writing an account of the things that have happened for us. He's giving us, given us a record of what happened. He's given us the story of what happened among us. The story, the true story of what happened when Jesus came into the world, who he was and what he did. Luke has given us the story of Jesus. And you might say, okay, that's really obvious. Well, let's just think about it for a minute. Think about it this way. Luke's given us a story. Think about what he's not given us. Think about what the book of Luke is not. It's not, um, it's not a book of poems. It's not a book of philosophy. It's not a book of rules. It's not a book of allegories. It's not just a random collection of Jesus' teachings. Of course, it includes all sorts of those sorts of things in there, doesn't it? There are a couple of songs. You know, there are some parables. There, there is some teaching for sure. But primarily, it's not those things. It's primarily a story, an account of who Jesus was and what he did when he came to be among us. And why do I say any of that? Well, the point is, we're not saved by a book of teachings, are we? We're not saved by a book that gives us lots of rules to follow. We're not saved by, you know, a book of poems that gives us a particular emotional response. In which case, you know, a book of poems might be the right thing to give us to try and help us be saved. We're not saved by a book of allegories as if we have to kind of sit down and sort of interpret for ourselves, you know, what everything represents and how we should live. You see, if Luke was any of that, it would be about us. You know, if it was a book of rules, it would be a book of rules for us to follow. It could be a book of emotional responses that we should have. It could be a book of teaching that we have to listen to and put into practice to be saved. It could be, if it was any of that, it would be a self-help book. And if it was that, it wouldn't be a gospel. It wouldn't be good news, which is what the word gospel means. Because if it was a book about us, 
a book about how we have to measure up, a book about how we have to you know, live up to Jesus' teachings to be saved, well, that's not good, good news at all. That would just show us how far short we fall. You see, it's not any of that. It's a story. It's a true story about what he did, about how he won salvation for us. We're not saved by his teachings. We're not saved by living a certain life, by following certain rules. We're saved by him, by his death for sin, by his rising to new life. Luke's given us a story, a story of what the king did when he came to be among us, a story of a king who won our salvation. And it's not about us, it's about him. Of course, that doesn't mean his teachings are unimportant. It doesn't mean that songs and poems and books like Psalms, which um, help us express our emotions, are unimportant. You know, Jesus is God, he's the king, and if we're going to follow him and enter into his story and enjoy the salvation that he's won for us, well, of course, that means all sorts of things. That means living his way, following him. Uh, We need his teachings, we need the Psalms, we need all sorts of things like that. We can get those things from all over the Bible. Don't hear me say that any of those things are unimportant. You know, if we're going to follow Jesus, that means, you know, we need to follow his teachings, you know, even when, even when perhaps we don't like them, we need to choose to follow him. But the point is, we're not saved by any of that. We're saved by the story, the account. We're saved by the great story of the king coming into his world and dying for his people. It's a story that really happened in our world a couple of thousand years ago, a story that Luke wrote down and researched for us. Now, there was one other thing. I, I was, as I said, I was thinking of possibly preaching that Emmaus Road story at the end of the book of Luke as well. And I thought just to finish, we might actually go there. Um, we've looked at the start of the book of Luke. Let's actually go to the end as well. I think that would be an interesting thing to do. Now, I'm not going to give you a whole second sermon from, from the, the end of the book of Luke. So, oh, I actually don't have it on the screen. This is, um, this is not the right one. So I might just um, have to read it for you. Here we go. Uh, but I, I thought what we would do, we would go to the, go to the road to Emmaus story because I just wanted to notice one more thing and that is that Luke, he start, we've seen how he starts his book. Um, what I want us to show us as well is that uh, Luke finishes his book in a very similar way. So Luke um, chapter 24, starting at verse 13, I'm just going to have to read it for us. Um, it's just after the resurrection. Let's, uh, let's finish with this story that's right at the end of the book of Luke. Uh, so it says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. About seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked, they discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walking along with them, uh, walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus asked them, what are, you, what are you discussing as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting from Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened among us in these days? Remember the start of Luke, the, the account of what had happened among them? Everyone, everyone knew what had happened. They'd, they'd come to Jerusalem. Everyone had known what Jesus had done in Jerusalem on that very first Easter weekend. So many eyewitnesses. Jesus had come into the city and everyone had noticed. What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and all our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
And what is more is it's the third day since all of this took place. And some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find a body. And they came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. And Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The two on the road to Emmaus, they're pretty observant. They were there over that Easter weekend. They saw who Jesus was. But what they missed, they missed one thing. They missed the thing that they needed to hear and it was the story. And it wasn't just the story of what happened a couple of thousand years ago over that weekend. It was a story that has been there through the whole Bible. A story that began with Moses and the prophets, all leading to Jesus. It's the great story, the story of the God who made this world, the story of the God who came into this world to be among us. It's the story of how God came into this world to show us who he really is. It's the story of how sin was dealt with, It's a story of hope for us still today. It's a story of the risen king who's still with us today. The risen king who will come again. It's the great story. And the question for us is, will we enter into that story? Will we choose to trust this king, love this king, follow this king? Live for him even when it doesn't seem fair or or perhaps like the sort of thing that we would want to do? Will we rejoice in this good news, this good news that Luke has written about for us? That God did come, he came to be among us, and we're saved by what he did. He died for our sin, he rose again to give us hope of the life to come. He's still among us now, ruling over his world. It's an account that's reliable and trustworthy. It's an account that we could stake our lives on. How about I pray for us as we finish? Father, we thank you this morning for the book of Luke. We thank you for um, our time looking at the book of Luke over several years, 60, uh, 60-ish sermons. Thank you for Luke who wrote this book for us. Thank you for Theophilus who financed it. But we know ultimately it was you and your spirit who caused this book to be written down for us. Thank you that you wanted us to know this story, the story of your world, the story of you stepping into this world and winning our salvation. Help us to enter into that story and to live for this King, for King Jesus. We pray this morning in his name. Amen.